Welcome to another episode of Talking Foosball, your source for all things German football. Well, things are a bit like being stuck in the middle of a Tom Hanks movie. We just don't know when or if things are going to return to normal. I'm Nicholas Wiltagen and I'm here to guide you through another week of news from the world of German football. So to dissect all things going on within the world of German football, I brought along my friend Terry DeFollen. How are you these days, Terry? Uh, to quote uh, Forrest Gump, I need to take a pee. <laughs> I'm drinking the most... I've just had the first... Just before we press record, I had the sip of a, of a bottle of wine that we picked up from our local supermarket. And it was. And we liked the label, but it was incredibly cheap. And we thought, well, let's, let's give it a go. Let's give it a whirl. You know, what's the worst that can happen? And it's like vinegar. It's really... You know, I could you could you could use it to wash down your walls. Apart from and apart from that, it's it's good for not much. So I'm actually in a pretty foul mood <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> it's, it's what they use in Spain to clean submarines. <laughs> that what that is. But in every other respect, I'm absolutely I'm absolutely fine. I'm a bit stressed and anxious, obviously uh, affected by the news. It's still incredibly dark times here very very sad stories coming out all over our country all over the world um, but I'm doing my best to manage the anxiety by about podcasting and I'm hoping that everybody listening to this is also uh, getting some nourishment from our regular talking foosball even though we don't have a great deal of foosball to talk well yeah that's what we basically do these these days we just check in on each other to just see that the other ones are right exactly yeah that's a good <laughs> enough good enough reason and then we publish the results yes there you go um, we didn't have <laughs> anything posterity. to talk about but there you go just listen to it i'm drinking i'm drinking a local beer by the way which is uh, absolutely lovely it's it's from a local brewery called sally cut and, and the beer is called slam dunk uh which is um actually i, I would go as far as the best saying the best thing that Norwegian brewing has to offer right about now, but be that as that may, uh, what do we have on offer then in this week's episode of Talking Foosball other than talking about drinks? <laughs> well, we do have some corona related news that have occurred since we last spoke on this football show, and in part two, I'll be doing a bit of Talking Foosball history, so that's basically what we do have on offer. So Stay with us, we'll be right back with a bit of news after the break. So here we go, Terry DeFallon. It's part one. It's the news section of our program. And the news, dire as they may be on all lands, they're not good for German football either, are they? Uh, no, they're not good at all. Although the talk of the Bundesliga resuming in May is moderately positive. I suppose we could talk about that in a minute, but in the meantime, I mean, a great number of clubs are on the verge of uh, insolvency. Uh, and uh, we're wondering just how much of the Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2 and indeed the uh, further down the leagues is going to be left when uh, when people are able to start walking back into football matches again. Yeah, I mean, DFB President Fritz Keller was on German broadcaster Phoenix just yesterday saying that Quote, there are going to be bankruptcies after the corona crisis is over. Some clubs are not going to survive this. So he might very well be speaking a lot about the clubs further down the divisions, but as Kicker reported the other day, out of this 36 clubs in the Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2, 13 of them 
are facing insolvency if this state of affairs continues for more than two months. Paderborn in the Bundesliga have said if this is going to be lasting another two months, it's lights out for us. Schalke's uh, managing director Alexander Jobst has called the ongoing situation an existential crisis for his club. And further down the divisions, you have VfL Bochum and Bundesliga 2 saying, well, we have consolidated our economic situation. We are actually a solvent club, but our problem has been that we haven't, we don't have any savings. So we basically two or three months of this and we'll be bust. So that that's that. 13 clubs facing financial ruin potentially. How, sh- I mean, how, how, how should the DFL and the DFB approach that scenario? Because obviously if 13 clubs out of 36 clubs went bust, we'd be stuck with a very different league. Sure. I mean, it's difficult to, to know really because, I mean, the clubs are part of the league and they're part of the uh, DFB, but, you know, they're not owned by them. I mean, they stand alone. They are they are their own clubs and, and, and some of them are corporate, some of them not so, not corporate, but they, you know, they run independently. They were formed independently and then they joined the league and they joined the DFB and, and they're associated to them. I mean, there's only so much that the DFB can do, the DFL and the DFB can do. Ultimately, if a club is been overcooking itself for you know as long as it has been I mean for a club like Paderborn which has done an amazing job getting into the Bundesliga but you would perhaps suggest if they've only got two months left that they've probably been on a really really high power curve that they're just not able to sustain for any length of time and I don't I mean this is not the time to be pointing fingers and blaming clubs for not running themselves correctly but does broadly illustrate the problem with running a football club at a professional level when you're highly ambitious and you want to you want to achieve the best and go as far as you possibly can when in fact your infrastructure doesn't really support that and now people are looking to the DFB and to the DFL and thinking well what can they do? I said, well, they will have money, I guess. They could probably give some of that money to these clubs to try and tide them over, to try and give them some kind of relief. Or as news recently broke, they could be perhaps looking you know, elsewhere outside for a third party, perhaps a bank, to try and see if they can you know, get some money, get a loan off of them to see if they can grant, uh, you know, just, just try and keep these clubs afloat for what will hopefully only be a, a few months before at least the TV money starts coming back in. The attendance money, of course, I think is months, conceivably years away. I mean, I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording, Nick. I mean, until they get a vaccine for COVID-19, you would imagine there, there's going to be no mass events taking place for the foreseeable future. Uh, the only other thing that they might be able to do is ask Bayern if they've got any spare money. <laughs> Well, I mean, we talked about that on the last show that me and you and Matt recorded uh, about the solidarity fund of 20 million euros. And uh, I think we're well past the point where 20 million euros will do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to add to your point, uh, FC Augsburg's president, Klaus Hoffmann, agrees with you. He told the Augsburger Allgemeine, a local paper, quote, I can't understand how some clubs potentially could go bust within two months. I feel like I'm witnessing a horror show here. 
Additionally, he said, our staff haven't been sent on leave because we do have work for everybody around at the office. We are now looking into projects that we have been postponing or that we haven't been able to start due to the ongoing football season. And we're now working on those projects, putting everybody to work. I mean, yes, I, I can see his point in the sense that any viable company should be able to to ride out a storm for six months, 12 months. But I mean, this is football. If you do plan for six or seven or eight months without any pay, you might potentially forsake several places in the table. You might potentially get relegated for that sort of financial prudency. Yes, and you might. That, and that, that is, I mean, I, I, I can see why that would be the case for Paderborn. I mean, they, they splashed out on a. They're, they're basically playing with a. They're basically playing with a, uh, with a Bundesliga two or Dritte Liga squad, really. And even that is too expensive for them, even though they're Bundesliga side. And there's the additional cost of just being in the Bundesliga. I know you get more money from television and presumably from additional sponsorship, but the infrastructure of that club, you know, the stadium size. You know, there's only so much money that their stadium can actually make and, and, and just turning on the lights and firing up the grills and getting the TV cameras in and getting all the infrastructure needed to just put on a Bundesliga match is probably, you know, there's all manner of costs that probably don't immediately spring to mind, but then, but are present all the same that, you know, ultimately Paderborn have to foot the bill for because, you know, that's the club. The, the difficulty here is it's still the same problem I and mean, Augsburg I mean Klaus Hoffmann can can say those things because obviously Augsburg has got some wedge behind it you know it's more than just a football club it's got got money behind it like Hoffenheim you know there's money behind that football club I mean without Dietmar Hopp that club probably wouldn't have even moved wouldn't have moved into its new stadium and wouldn't have got out of the fifth division you know I mean and it, it's so it's difficult to the difficulty is is you, you've got big clubs with loads of supporters, national support, who can run themselves more, a little, a little bit more like, foot, like like in the proper spirit of 50 plus one. And then you've got like other clubs who, you know, have external injections of cash who can, you know, who can keep themselves going, who are much smaller but can still keep themselves going. And then you've got big clubs like Dortmund and Bayern Munich who have, can, can rely on external, both. They've got the big support base, Massive infrastructure and external sponsorship coming in, particularly buying, but that, you know both clubs, and they, you know, this creates a situation where clubs can pretty much survive under situations like this. And then you've got clubs like Paderborn and others further down, Bochum as well. But you know, even even Schalke, even Schalke say this is an ex- existential threat yeah. to them, and and they they are one of the most historic clubs within German football. I mean, they were big team before Dortmund. Yeah, yeah, certainly were, and it can't be forgotten about, but although that, I mean, that should be said that we're going back to the 30s, 40s and 50s there, really, because that's almost the before, they were talking pre-Bundesliga. Yeah, they, uh, they haven't won a single Bundesliga championship, much to the delight of Borussia Dortmund fans. But. But thank you very much for pointing that out, but on a very serious note, I mean, if it's an existential crisis for, for Schalke, then that means that the Revere derby is at risk, which is, which is a significant part of German football culture and it is a very, very important part of Borussia Dortmund's culture as well, even more so. So, I mean, there's no fun, I don't think, in and there's no uh, 
glory in you know defeating an opponent that's already beaten so you know it's everyone's interest really that these clubs try and survive in order to maintain the integrity maintain the fabric of the competition and of you know the game of football in in Germany but I do think that probably what needs to happen and we've been saying this I think for years well we're saying it a lot on our on the sound of football podcast we, we say this that Clubs desperately need to be able to communicate. And a lot of this is supporters also need to get behind this and say, look, this club can only go so far. And as much as you want to be playing in the Champions League, if you're currently, you know, a lower mid-table second division side, you're not going to achieve that. You probably will be doing well to achieve top flight status for any length of time. And I think it is important that clubs and their fans try and be comfortable in their own club's skin and celebrate who they are. And I think there's a lot of fans who are like that, but I think at the same time, there are plenty of fans who are always trying to drive clubs to be more ambitious. And of course, clubs employ sportsmen, athletes, people who are by their nature competitive. They want to win every game. They don't, you know, and so they're not going to be interested in, you know, sitting down with the club chairman and saying, well, you know, we see ourselves as like a mid-table Dritterliga club and really that's as far as we want you to take us. I mean, like, no, no coach is going to go for that. So it's a complicated cocktail, uh, but it does need to be managed a little bit better, I think, assuming that we come out of the other end of this. But, you know, I mean, there's a, there's, it's entirely possible that by the time there are full stadiums uh, again that it may already be too late this conversation will be kind of academic because there'll be the, the uh, many clubs will have gone because you know without fans there's no football well yeah i mean going back how my club has dealt on the transfer market you know uh, spending next season and, and basically the money from 2022 as well already for the raymond you know i wonder if, if they are in deep deep trouble right now I mean, right now they're, they're making headlines because Frank Bauman and uh, a couple of other members uh, from, from the Verda board are actually calling the oldest member of, of the clubs, all those over 70, and uh, the players are actually cooking for the homeless in Bremen during the COVID-19 crisis, which is, you know, a lovely bunch of headlines. But at the end of the day, we're wondering, well, I am at least wondering if Verda is among those 13 clubs that could potentially face insolvency you wouldn't be surprised would you because i mean their financial problems have been a matter of record for some time now so you would say they would be vulnerable you have to ask about hsv as well for hsv yeah so as you mentioned that there might be another avenue for the dfl and you know and today uh on, on sunday Frankfurter Allgemeine, a quality paper from Germany, reported that the DFL actually put in a request to the Japanese investment bank Nomura, asking for a potential loan of 750 million euros. Uh, Nomura was not really a name that was familiar to me, so I did a bit of Googling and Wikipedia to find out who they are. Well, it turns out they, they're just a Japanese investment bank uh, with various acquisitions all around the world. The most famous in Europe for actually purchasing the Lehman Brothers Asian operations back in 2008 when, when Lehman Brothers went bust during the financial crisis. And, you know, the other bit of news they made in Europe was actually the vice president of sales, Trent Martin, facing uh, requests for ex addition to the US because he was charged with insider trading. So pretty much a normal financial institution these days. Uh, yeah, I I was say. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to sound shocked, but I'm afraid my um, my my banking outrage sort of like radar is just like you know 
on overdrive anyway I, <laughs> have, have, have you seen the sort of people hsbc has given they've been given loans to i mean come on i mean yeah i mean I, I, this is a i mean this is a, a, a difficult one because you know the dfl have a probably feel a strong obligation to try and get some money in to be able to you know manage this crisis but obviously i'm not suggesting that nomura are any more disreputable than any other bank But, you know, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position when you're going into hock for that amount of money with a single lending institution. They have the, the power and influence to pull the rug from under you to a certain degree. And, of course, we don't really know whether or not the, D, the DFL have the wherewithal and the robustness to be able to make certain that they service that debt. And that would be the, a matter of extreme. I mean, it would be, up to the, would be up to the clubs. And, you know, there's so many uncertain with those with the ongoing crisis. When are we going to see spectators? Because, I mean, I mentioned on a, on a previous episode, Werder Bremen are actually, just to mention Werder Bremen, a club that has one of the lowest attendances in the Bundesliga. They managed to pull 1.5 million euros per match day. That is, well, uh, 28 million euros a year from match day revenue. That's just people through the gate buying sausages, buying tickets, buying beer. And that, that is a lot of money. I mean, that is the wages for David Klaassen, Milad Rashika. All the top players basically combined. I mean, the three, four, five best players of Werder Bremen are just being financed by the Manchester Revenue. Mm. And that's one of the least visited teams in the Bundesliga, or at least in sort of mid-table sort of range. So if you look at that and you know that that revenue is not coming in, you know there's going to be an awful lot of other uncertainties going forward. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be very difficult. And... and I mean, I think that you can understand why everyone is anxious to try and see if they can get some fashion of football going again, even if they're ghost games, even if there's actually a fairly significant financial cost to holding those games. I think that you can understand why there's a, a strong desire amongst a lot of people to try and to try and finish the season, mm. and then and then hopefully, you know, in August the the picture might be a little bit clearer. <laughs> well, FIFA have said that. Players' contracts should be valid until the end of the season, meaning that if the season is extended beyond the 1st of July, boo fucking who if you're a player uh, who wants to leave a club in July. You can't because the season is still ongoing. But having said that, I think that we are going to run into various troubles here. First of all, there is basically the law of the land where these players are working. I mean, most, most of them are working within the EU and EU law states quite unequivocally that if your contract has an end date, both both the employer and the employee are held to that end date. So if it says 1st of July is your last day at work, FIFA don't actually have the power to go and say, well, hang on, we have to continue until October because of Corona. They can't do that. No, they can't. Um, I mean, what you would hope would happen in most cases is that some kind of arrangement will be made between the two clubs. So Alexander Nubel, for example, presumably, assuming he's happy to, to stay at Schalke until the end of the season, even if that goes after July when he's due to move to Bayern Munich. 
and I think I read that he was he would certainly be agreeable to the to the idea of doing that. That an arrangement would be made, say, between those two clubs. Where it gets stickier, of course, is lower down the league, where these things are less cut and dried, and there's more money at stake, you know, significantly. So it is a difficult one. But I mean, unfortunately, that that it defies analysis, really, because I mean, it is what it is. I mean, we are where we are. There's going to be an extension to the season. It's going to go after that period, and it's going to create these kind of problems. And the only way of doing it will be is that other players whose contracts have expired just don't play because they're no longer being paid. It doesn't matter what FIFA say, or an arrangement is made and they get to stay. You know, some kind of accommodation is is made and things work out. I mean, I think people are just going to have to show a bit of common sense and. And do it. I mean, that FIFA ruling strikes me as FIFA doing something because they feel it's important that they try and take some kind of lead, you know, in this situation, show a bit of leadership. And in that respect, there's actually nothing wrong with doing that. How it turns out in reality, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing, nothing wrong with saying, look, we need to make a decision. We need to show some kind of guidance here for people because otherwise, alternatives they just say nothing. And I don't know whether that's ideal either. I mean, a bit of leadership in my book would have been to say we end the season now. And we'll find some sort of financial arrangements and we help you with that. Yeah, but you know as well as I do, the difficulty with that is is you've got contracts that have got to be with sponsors and with broadcasters that have to be fulfilled. Now, again, it might well be that some of those broadcasters might well go, okay, well, let's come to an arrangement. Well, let's finish it off and you won't have to pay us the outstanding balance. But broadcasters are on their uppers as well and they need money too. And they'll be relying on other budgeted for that money that they're going to be getting or the, or, or the, the uh, you know that revenue that they're going to be getting I should say from from those broadcasts that they're going to miss out on and it's going to create it's going to create a ton of problems and you know it's bad enough that you've not got fans in the stadium but then if you've also got you know disputes contractual disputes between leagues and broadcasting partners then you're in for a whole world of pain so I actually to be honest with you I cannot I mean it sucks because TV and modern football sucks but at the same time this is where we are and there is no point in making you're not going to resolve this issue by making a political statement about the situation well, it is did a so. situation that needs to be resolved pragmatically and so I can understand why it would why, why they would do it Belgium said well we can't we can't quit we'll finish the season right yeah, and I'm sure that the three pounds and sixpence that they owe the Belgian broadcaster <laughs> for, for not completing the league, I'm sure they'll have a whip round and they'll pay it off. But I would suggest to you that in the in in the bigger territories like Bundesliga, particularly, which is what we're talking about, they have national and international TV deals that are that are worth significant sums of money. Which have to be, you know, accounted for. So uh, I don't think I don't think it's quite the same thing. If you don't mind my saying so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do see that. But uh, at the end of the day, we're twittering about you know this not being over until there's a vaccine, really. And I mean, listen to this. Here are the plans for the Bundesliga. Should it go on in May, as it is planned right now? So we do have a bit of positive news here. The doubling rate of the corona cases. Um, it is slowing down all over Europe right now. Apart from the UK. Apart from the UK and, well, 
leadership well, that's, there. That's, is, that's for another podcast. Better not but, discuss. Uh, yeah. we, we, we can we can we can talk about that on we can talk about that on our Boris podcast. <laughs> Indeed, Boris cast in Germany. Um, they're looking at coming out of lockdown relatively soon. They're they're envisaging coming out of lockdown. Uh, and so that's why they think it's possible that they might be able to resume the season, albeit behind closed doors. Yeah. So 50% of Germans are for that, uh, Bill jubilantly wrote, uh, forgetting that the other 50% <laughs> are against that, which means... <laughs> the glass is definitely half full when it comes to... Football <laughs> 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 yes. Well, I mean, but, I mean, listen, here are the plans for how the Bundesliga should resume. Uh, I think we referenced... Those reports on, on our last episode with Felix, but I, I might as well mention it all the same. Teams are to be tested every three days. Players who are testing positive for corona are going into isolation themselves, not like they did before with the entire squad being in isolation. So that is changing. But my question would be, I mean, there, there are roughly about 380 players in the Bundesliga, which means there are 760 tests to be made. Right now, the world is facing a shortage of testing kit. How can you justify using almost a thousand tests on German footballers and referees, who are also going to be tested, by the way, just to, you know, finish off the Bundesliga season? Well, you can't justify it. Not morally. You can only justify it financially and commercially. But from a moral point of view, no. The season, from a moral point of view, Nick, the season should have been finished by now. It should have been declared finished, and we resume the season. We start a new season when, ultimately, hopefully, when we can get back into the stadiums. But if not, then some kind of you know delayed. I mean, I, I can totally get my head around the idea that bringing some kind of, some kind of competitive sport back as a means of entertaining and distracting the public from their concerns. I think there's some genuine uh, value in that. I think that that is a good thing, but the price at the moment, I suspect, is too high. And you're right. You know, I mean, when there's, you know, I mean, I, I, we're talking about Germany specifically, but just for example, in the UK, I mean, a significant number of our National Health Service staff are still not wearing PPE and still not, have not been tested for COVID-19 and they're the ones who are supposed to be treating. Now, I mean, I would rather that those, that testing equipment be shipped over to the UK to try and help out with our relief here. I would rather see some more solidarity for the actual crisis pan-European. I know the UK government have done nothing to deserve any kind of solidarity, but, you know... Well, they, they didn't sign, much like Norway, they didn't sign the, the EU procurement deal no, uh, no. in terms of so, securing... Uh, but, but, I mean, I think... In a, in a broader sense, this is there's still uh, the crisis is still happening and people are dying. I mean, people are dying every day. I mean, it's it's, pl it's like plane crashes every day. It's just awful, and it just seems bizarre to me that people think that they can just go ahead and start playing games, you know, under those circumstances. I mean, I mean to put it into perspective, the current state of thing. I mean, the current state of affairs means that we actually might end up with a number of people dying here in Norway, which would be much, much lower than the normal flu season. Which is great. I mean, lockdown, all of that has worked. Great. Problem is, we can't really go completely out of lockdown because 
two things we don't know. Um, we don't know how many people have had COVID-19, and we don't know if you can get it again, because, you know, now there are cases in South Korea and other countries where people have got it again. So we don't know if immunity works, and we don't have a vaccine. And we don't know if you have drugs that work. So, you know, all of all yeah. of those things. So the, the upshot of it is, is that it, it, it seems really impractical that, that, that this, and irresponsible, to be bringing this back in, in these situations. I mean, like I'm seeing here that <laughs> plexiglass between the video officials. Yeah. I mean, like, why is even VAR even being considered <laughs> for this? I mean, if you're going to do it, it needs to be a cut down version of this minimum number of squad players, minimum number of people at all that you don't need VAR, just go without VAR. And then we just have to, and then you can put a little asterisk by the season if you want to, you know, I mean, like one of many actual asterisks by this season, you know. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, so. I mean what, what, what they're basically planning here is, um, you know, Kicker wrote this today. They want referees to officiate matches in their hometowns. Right. Which is okay. Uh, Manuel Grefer, who's from Berlin, he gets to officiate Hertha. And Union. And Union. Uh, Felix Brisch, who's from München, he gets to officiate Bayern München. I'm sure that's what he's always wanted, isn't it? Um, yes, that's basically what he's been doing all his life. <laughs> I mean, he's officiated in the Audi Cup for them, but I mean, I mean that that in itself it has a foul stench to it in my book. I mean, honestly speaking, and you're talking about plexiglass between the VAR officials, yeah, and you're talking about you know maybe them wearing face masks in order to protect themselves and others, and, and really. But, but what about the footballers? You talk about um, VR staff getting face masks. Playing football with face masks is bloody impossible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. can you... I mean, can just you, could you, can you, how on earth are you supposed to be able to regulate your breathing, you know, correctly? How are you supposed to keep... I mean, and also, I mean, things like... I mean, like, at the moment, all the play, all the play, all the teams of play are training without tackles at the moment. There's no tackling going yeah, on. You're, 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 you're no heading, no tackling, and you're not supposed to talk, touch the ball with your hands, which uh, you know makes, makes goalkeeping really interesting, I would assume. And it's April, and they're supposed to be kicking this off in, what, May? May. I mean, how's the quality of the game going to be like? It's going to be shit football matches. They're going to be kick-arounds. There's going to be probably, you know, I mean, like, and the tackling, I mean, you've a bad tackle and injury, and then there's suddenly, oh, like, are you going to have a player what carted off to, what, a hospital, presumably? Because, like, hospitals don't have enough on their plate as it is. I mean, it's just... I mean, I appreciate that in Germany they have got their head around this crisis quite well and a lot better than they have, say, in the UK. The idea of the Premier League coming back is an abomination um, at the moment. But, you know, I mean, it's... But, but uh, I couldn't... So I couldn't... But I, I appreciate that in Germany it's, they've done it differently. There, I say, they've been more efficient at it. But I still... This thing strikes me as being really early and as I said earlier I don't blame the DFL for trying to push this and trying to see if they can make this happen from the commercial point of view but from a from a moral point of view it just it reeks yeah, I mean I'm a nurse myself and right now there's there's really a shortage of testing material and there's a shortage of um, you know equipment in terms of protecting yourself yourself from protecting yourself from from COVID-19 if you work with COVID-19 patients and they they sent uh, my my um, my employer sent me on a workshop how to work with COVID-19 patients 
and uh, you know they were telling us how to get dressed, how how you should dress before you you know taking on all your equipment, taking on your face and all that, uh, how to get dressed before you enter a room. And um, you think, oh right, great! I I can really get into this. I can you know work out. I mean, I I work in in the psychiatric ward. I don't have I haven't worked with uh, patients in isolation for five five or six years. So I'm I need I need the refresher if I'm if I should if I want to be able to do that. But there's no material for us to work with. No equipment to work with. We have to. You know, we have to watch shit videos before we potentially should be able to work with COVID-19 patients. And that is a situation which is pretty much the same for healthcare staff all around Europe. Mm. Some are even of worse than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in Norway. I mean, other other parts of Europe, it's it's considerably worse. So yes, I mean, I think in summary, I think we can agree that this is not a, this is an ill-conceived idea. That probably actually won't happen, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, uh, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Will you watch it? I honestly, I, I, I don't see any worth in finishing off a season with no spectators. Because, I mean, I've seen ghost matches before and they, they do like the intensity. They do like pretty much everything that makes us want to watch football week in and week out, mm. oftentimes. Yeah. And. You know, having the addition of, I mean, me and Felix, we talked about the value of the competition being kept in place. I mean, here, the DFL have plans to say that teams that have 13 healthy outfield players and two healthy goalkeepers on hand should be made to play. Yeah, no. Even though if there are several players within the squad having COVID-19. That's, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> really? No. I mean... What, what sort of value does that competition have? But, you know, talking about value, me and you, we do value Big Cav quite a lot, don't we? Kevin Grosskreutz. Yes, and uh, Big Cav, Kevin Grosskreutz. Yes, we do. We, uh, well, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we do value him. You have, you have greatly. written a book about Borussia Dortmund, which might come out very, very soon, depending on how all this COVID nineteen things. Well, yeah, there though my the publication of my book has been has been put on hold. Um, so, uh, but but yes, uh, Ke- Kevin Grosskreutz does feature heavily in that book that you may one day read <laughs> if it ever comes out. But yes, uh, he's uh, made the most of his time um, since uh, retiring from football, hasn't he, Nick? Retiring time? Well, he's still playing. He plays in the third division for of course he does. Calf Um but. Um, that is almost like retiring if you were a world champion in 2014, <laughs> which is just six years ago. Well, he has, um, with a mate, opened, uh, with, he and a mate have opened a restaurant called Mitschmackes, which means, uh, with, well, it's, 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 I would translate it uh, as with gusto. So they have opened a restaurant in Dortmund, and it, it's sort of like, I, I had a closer look at the menu, and it, it looks like really heart attack inducing really um but given the circumstances it's corona times and big calf and his place are struggling uh so what kevin groskos has done is that he's started a voucher campaign so you basically can buy a voucher of whatever amount you like in order to keep the place afloat 
and use it later on and eat there. Anybody who buys a voucher worth 20 euros or more is entered in the competition where you can win prizes like signed jerseys from, from the likes of Mar Marcel Schmelzer, Mario Götze, Erling Braut, Holland. And if you buy a voucher for 50 euros or more, you actually get a video message from uh, from Kevin Grosskreutz. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned I mentioned Mitch Mackis and Big Calf before we started recording, and it, it turns out, Terry, that you actually have been to the place. Oh, yes, I have indeed. I, I had uh, lunch with um, Stefan Butzko in 2018, I think. Yes, Stefan Butzko in 2018. I had lunch at Mitch Mackers uh, with him. I don't remember what I ate, but it was. But I do remember it being delicious. And uh, I spent a very, very pleasant couple of hours with Stefan, catching up and talking about football and uh, drinking uh, beer. And um, and I think I had some kind of fish salad of some description, but I may have made that up. But it, I do. It was an extremely uh, convivial place. And I can heartily recommend it to uh, anyone in Dortmund once you're able to go to Dortmund and eat at restaurants, <laughs> which may be sometime. And assuming you can actually afford to go to Dortmund if you're um, not in Dortmund, so uh, probably never. But anyway, it was uh, it, it, it's a it's a cracking place. I was perusing the menu, trying to remember what it was that I ate, and I I can't see anything uh, that I ate, but I'm certain it had fish. But anyway, <laughs> well, there is a fish dish here, actually. Yeah, they're, they're actually, um, what impressed me the most about the menu is that there are nine different types of schnitzel on it. Yeah. Nine different types of schnitzel. Yeah. My, my favorite one, I mean, I'm a vegetarian, but my favorite one being the chili cheese schnitzel, which is which comes with hollandaise sauce, jalapenos, and it's topped off with the melted cheese. Obviously, it... Uh, it has some fries on the side and of course salad because you don't want to be too unhealthy, <laughs> do you? Um, I love the way that they've just got the bal the bilagan salad just on the end there by way of an apology, really. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's great stuff. And uh, I mean, it, yeah, obviously it's not the only eatery that um, that is struggling uh, at the moment, but it is uh, the only one uh, owned co-owned by 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 Big Ken. So, <laughs> so uh, I am hoping that it does well as i'm sure you know solidarity also for lucas podolsky and his kebab shop well there you go so if you if you want to get a video message by big calf you know what to do 50 50 euros 50 bucks and 50 it's bucks, yours uh, and let, let, i mean let's be honest we all want to go back to Dortmund once this is over and when <laughs> we go there we need a place to eat right yeah. So, so come on, talking football listeners, make with the 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Well, that's great. I mean, finally, a, a light-hearted end to one of our segments. Um, well, let's just take a short break and we'll be back with part two of our show in a short while. Uh, here we go. It's part two of the show, um, and it's a, it's a bit of talking foosball history. I'm, you know, since we don't have a lot of actual football going on at the moment, I, I thought we might want to talk about historic stuff going forward on this show. Yeah, you talk and I'll listen. All right, there we, there we go. So I picked an episode happening, uh, which happened back in 1971, September 29th of 1971, to be precise. So the team I'm talking about is Halisha FC. They had actually qualified for the UEFA Cup in the 1971-72 season, and the season before they finished third in the GDR Oberliga. 
the club was really consisting of an experienced bunch of players at that time. Uh, they won many close matches in the second half of the season. Hallow were actually in ninth at the halfway point of the 70-71 season, and they finished in third. But don't be mistaken, they weren't really spectacular bunch, uh, those guys. They only scored 35 goals in 26 matches. But that was good enough to get to third place. And, you know, the top scorer was a certain Klaus-Dieter Burleson, who scored a measly seven goals that season. However, they did have some quality in that side. Erhard Mozart in midfield and Klaus Obanchik were both GDR internationals and, and great ones. And once they were drawn in the UEFA Cup for that 1971-72 season, they actually got quite a cracker. They got uh, PSV Eindhoven, a Dutch side, uh, which had non, you know, plays like goose hitting in, in their side back then. First match took place in uh, Halle, which ended 0-0. Great position to be in for a side such as Holland that was used to grind out results. So they went away and booked into a hotel in uh, Eindhoven called the Silver Seapelt. The Silver Seahorse. Well, given that GDR teams weren't necessarily swimming in money back then, you wouldn't expect anything else but... You won't be surprised when I tell you that it was a really old and cheap hotel. It had no fireproofing, no fire accents, no fire alarm, and very few fire extinguishers. And tragically, when a lorry driver passed the hotel at 5.30 in the morning, he spotted a fire coming from the Silver Seahorse. At that point, Halis Klaus Ubanchik and his teammate, which who was sleeping next to him in his room, Kinter Riedel, they were both wakened by the sound of broken glass and cries for help. The two of them actually got down to the ground floor using the elevator, which was still running, which, you know, tells you an awful lot about the fireproofing of, of that place. But once they were down there in the uh, in the lobby, they actually were greeted with a sea of flames as a bunch of described it later on. Riedel and Abunchik, they decided to take the elevator back up at that point, but suddenly the power is cut. So what do you do? Stuck in a fire in an elevator with the power being cut. Abunchik described saying that survival reflexes kicked in and the two of them actually managed to escape from that death trap, you know, managing to lock up the doors of the elevator and getting out. Once they were out, they actually started helping guests to get out of the burning building. Urbanchik, Klaus Urbanchik, the GDR International, they, he actually managed to break a glass door. Uh, he broke that glass door with uh, using his bare hands, which, which caused a massive bleed. In the end, after you know helping out several people, uh, Urbanchik actually had to uh, take a leap down on the street, which was 8 or 10 meters below him. Once he landed, Abanchik knew that uh, he had broken several bones in his body, and all he did at that point was um, yelling out his blood type, whilst being in utter agony. Several players of Hallowshire FC were actually injured during their escape from the fiery inferno that was the hotel to Sylvan Seffert. And most tragically of all, the 21-year-old defender Wolfgang Hoffmann died. Uh, Ubanchik says that the youngster actually was on his way out of the building, but he decided to get back in 
in order to fetch some clothing that he had left behind. Said clothing was said to be uh, from West Germany, which you know people in GDR back then valued very, very much. In the end, the talented defender died on the flames. Even more tragically, Hoffmann was actually not supposed to be with the team. Werner Peter, uh, who was actually supposed to take his spot during that trip to Eindhoven, he had actually come down with an infection, vacating his spot, and Hoffmann was um, taken on that trip to Eindhoven. The match that was supposed to be played on September 29th was never played, and Halleschef actually never really got back into the limelight. Uh, they played once more in the UEFA Cup, which was in 1992. And these days, they are aside in the Dritte Liga, third tier. But back then, in 1971, they actually had a side that looked really, really good. But that side was relegated from the GDR Oberliga two years after that tragic incident. And uh, it just shows how one tragic incident can change the course of history for one side. For who knows what would have been if it hadn't been for this very, very tragic fire. So there. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Simon's yes. on the other end of the line, which is always a good sign. Yeah. I was to show you uh, also um, that it is possible, obviously, to you know suspend or end a, a competition uh, that Obviously, not the whole competition, but that uh, presumably uh, Eindhoven went through to the next round by default. Yeah, I did. Imagine. yeah. Did, they did. Yeah. So I mean, I think, and that's obviously in the case of a tragedy that affected uh, one individual, and yet at the moment um, there's all manner of carnage going on across Europe, and they're still thinking about seeing out the season. But yes, it's a very uh, touching and a very uh, a very sad story, and uh, one can only imagine what might have been. But apparently there was a return match, wasn't there, Nick? A kind of tribute match 35 years afterwards, am I right? There was, yeah. That was uh, played in uh, in Halle uh, in 2006. And among the people present at that event was actually Gus Hiddink, who was part of that piece of the Eindhoven side that would have played Halle Schäftsee. So you might have wondered uh, how I've gone, come across all of these things. I mean, have I sat down and called several people, you know, doing do, do the journalistic thing. Well, actually, I now I just read a book. <laughs> uh, all of this is actually taken from Gottfried Weiss's book, which is about um, GDR clubs in uh, European competitions. It's, it's a great book in German, which is called Als Maradona 80.000 Lockte, die DDR-Clubs im Europapokal. Back when, uh, to translate it into English, back when Maradona seduced 80,000 people, the GDR clubs in the European competitions. Uh, so if you do know a bit of German, I would highly recommend you, I would highly recommend getting that book because I learned a thing or two along the way and among other things, this story was included in, in, in that book. So there, I think we we should we should knock it on the head, shouldn't we, Tori? Tori, to follow. Yes, yes, I think we're uh, 
uh, we're good to go. And my awful wine is now finished, so I need to unfortunately go and uh, pour some more. Finish the bottle. Finish the bottle, because I'll be damned if I'm going to waste it. Yes, there you go. Crime, the crime enough buying it in the first place. Even bigger crime leaving it, wasting I mean, it. Um, you said at the, at the top of the show you, you bought it because of the label. Mm. <laughs> Would you mind me asking what the label included for you to actually being in the in the shop saying? Uh, I'm just all right. Fine, you found me out, Nick. I'm just a tight ass. Okay, I didn't buy it because of the label. I bought it because it was cheap. Are you happy now? Yes, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so there we are. We'll be back at some point next week. I I assume. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll be back when we'll be back. I mean, when we'll feel like checking in on each other. Uh, Terry DeFallon, uh, are, you, are you much on Twitter these days, passing your time? No, nah, not really, no. I'm staying uh, staying off the socials as much as possible, uh, limiting my uh, my news intake. And I, uh, you know, just be, to to try and keep the essentials in. Uh, I mean, as you can imagine, Twitter is a complete dumpster fire. Well, it, it always has been, you know, but it's even more of a dumpster fire. And uh, for the sake of my mental health, I'm staying off the socials. Um, I mean, I'm on Twitter at Terry DeFallon and I will check my mentions from time to time because I'm vain. So if you want to drop me a line, then by all means do. <laughs> if you want to find out what wine Terry actually was drinking on the night of the recording, <laughs> drop him a line. He will answer eventually. My name is Nicholas Viltag and I'm on Twitter at Norm Musings. I haven't really been an awful lot on Twitter over the last couple of years because I do have children now. But I do check my mentions from time to time as well. Uh, so if you want to drop me a line about, I don't know, beers or isolation or football, whatever, uh, I'll answer eventually. Our podcast is on Twitter as well, at Talking Foosball. Uh, you know, give us a rating on in iTunes, listen to us on Spotify and do all of those things. Uh, and until the next time, talk to you then. Stay safe. Goodbye. Goodbye.